You have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. The sermon was from October 24, 2021. The sermon text was Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. This was the first week in our new series on the book of Ephesians. As part of our introduction to that new series, we showed a Bible Project video on the book of Ephesians in our Sunday service. You can find that video on the Bible Project website, and there's also a link in the notes for this podcast. This morning, we start a new series on the book of Ephesians. So I, I kind of have, I don't know, two jobs this morning while I'm up here. On one hand, I want to introduce the whole sermon series and give us a little bit of background as we start that whole thing. But then I also need to actually start the series and cover the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. So we showed the Bible Project video in order to try to help facilitate that introduction to the series. We let Tim Mackey, he's the voice that you hear, we let Tim Mackey cover the general themes and ideas of the book and give some background and some context. And the Bible Project does a really good job at that sort of thing, and I appreciate the way that they do that, and I hope that that was helpful for you as well. But this morning here at Tressler, there are a couple other things that I want to share with you, not so much about this passage, but as sort of introducing the whole series at Tressler. So the first part of introducing that whole series here at Tressler is to remind you that this is part of our broader chronological series. I mean, we got series within series. That must make us a great church. But anyway, within, within that framework of the broader chronological series, we're covering each, or at least we'll get through most eventually, of the books of the New Testament in the order they're written, or at least a best guess of that order. We're hoping that gives a framework for covering a lot of scripture over time to try to give us a good, well-rounded knowledge. But also we're wanting at least I'm hoping, I find it helpful for me to bring a book alive in a special way when I know what it was written in, in history, when other books were written around that same time, and you can see maybe what the churches were facing, what the different authors were wanting to deal with within that community. So with that in mind, it's probably important to remind you that we just finished a series on Colossians and then a, a one Sunday series on Philemon since it's so short. And these three letters, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, appear to all have been written at about the same time, maybe the year 60 to 62 is a a common guess. Colossians and Philemon are very tightly uh, connected, as you might have noted from listening to them. Um, Some people think Ephesians might have been part of sort of a three-letter collection that Paul wrote and had delivered almost at the same time. Other people think Ephesians maybe was written separately, but in that same kind of time period. So I'm not even quite sure that everybody agrees that Ephesians was the third of those three, but that seems to be a common view, and so that's the way we laid it out. They're all three written in that same kind of time period, probably. So another piece of background is the introduction of who this letter was written to. Who did, who did Paul write to when he wrote this book? Um, Part of the reason people ask this question is revealed in the first two verses of Ephesians, so I'm going to read them right now. 
He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. And then if you're reading the Pew Bible, you'll notice there's a little asterisk there. And then you get down to a footnote. Appears in a lot of your English translations. It says the most ancient manuscripts do not include in Ephesus. So that's why there is some uh, debate among people as to who this was written to. Some of the very early manuscripts that we have, or I'm um, trusting people, I've never actually read them, but it wouldn't do many good anyway because they're not in English. But anyway, the early ones we have say some of them in Ephesus and some of them not. And so that creates some discussion by people. I'm not an expert here, and I'm just going by what I read trying to understand the various books that I have before me. My best guess, what I operate under in the course of these sermons that I'll preach on Ephesus, is that Paul probably wrote to Ephesus, but with the understanding and the expectation that it was very likely they were going to copy these and send them out to churches in that approximate area who also knew Paul and would appreciate what Paul had had to say. So in that sense, probably he wrote with one congregation, maybe slightly in the forefront of his mind, but to a broader audience in the back of his mind. And that sort of um, impacts the nature of the letter. And he probably, my best guess, has wrote this along with Colossians and Philemon while in prison in Rome. So that's, that's my best understanding. But if you study on your own, you'll discover some people will argue with that. The last piece of our uh, sort of introduction to the series is the idea that the letter has two big sections. This came out in the Bible Project video, but I want to emphasize it once again because it will impact the way that we cover it. Paul spent the first half of his letter, more or less, what we call chapters one to three, giving background information, stuff that we as Christians need to understand to be followers of Jesus. And then, about the beginning of chapter 4, he says, okay, now, you understand all of that, this is how you need to live as followers of Jesus. And he moves into a lot of application. So because that's how he structures it, as we do our sermons, you're going to hear a lot of information, teaching, knowledge, understanding about grace and love and forgiveness and mercy and that kind of thing. And then you're going to start getting a whole series of sermons in which the whole point is, okay, now you need to live this way, and you need to do these things. And that might sound overwhelming, but blame Paul, not us. That's just the way he structured his letter So as we work through that. So that's why it's that way, and a warning that it might seem that way, overwhelming for a little while. So with that kind of introduction to the series of Ephesians, we'll move on to the rest of my passage in chapter 1. Apparently, when Paul wrote this, verses 3 to 14, he wrote it as one giant sentence that gives praise to God. The English translators, fortunately, whack it up into a whole bunch of different sentences that make it a lot easier for me to understand. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. So here at the very beginning of his letter, Paul is telling us some information that we need to know in order to be followers of Jesus. And then when he turns to that practical information later in the letter, we're going to have the basic knowledge that we need to understand why he's telling us what he is. So with that in my mind, as I was reading these verses, I realized 
At least to me, it seems like there are three things that Paul wants to communicate to us in the rest of these verses for this morning. Three things that stand out that you have to understand if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus with your daily life when he gets to that application. First, God chose us. That'd be verses 4 to 8, roughly. Second, Jesus makes it possible. That's verses 9 to 11, more or less. And then the third thing is that the Spirit marks us, say, verses 13 to 14. There's a little overlap in between these verses. So God chose us, Jesus makes it possible, and the Spirit marks us. So first, the idea that God chose us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So I know it seems on one hand pretty simple. God chose us, and yet if you really stop and think about it, it raises a ton of questions that that I, I don't have the knowledge, the ability, or the time to try to address. So I'm going to try to just focus on what Paul seems to want us to understand. God chose us, and he chose us because he loves us. So now Paul, Paul talks about how God reached out to us, and he chose us, and he adopted us. And while he's doing that, he stresses an important point, which is that God initiated this relationship. And I think this is going to matter a lot when we get to that future time when we're talking about mutual love and unity within the body of Christ. Because you see, I'm not a Christian because I made a really brilliant decision and sought God down and knocked on his door and pushed it open and said, you need to accept me. I'm a Christian because he reached out to me. And the same is true for you. God initiated your relationship with him. And I think maybe you could imagine that God is the host and we are all his guests. We're here on his invitation and only because he invited us. And so in that way, we begin to see that we are all in the same status as we're gathered in this room or in a metaphorical room as the body of Christ throughout the world. We're all there because of God's initiation. And so we're all there as equals. Now, I think it's important to understand we do need to respond to God's love. Scripture does indicate that it's possible for people to reject God's love. But everyone who is a follower of Jesus is there because God initiated the relationship. And I hope that leads to a certain humility, a certain gratitude, and then a certain unity as we follow Jesus. And related to that, Paul emphasizes in in these verses that we don't deserve this relationship. We didn't behave so well that God said, well, I have got to let them into the family. It's much more the case that God has us in his family because of his grace. He initiates it because he loves us, and we're part of the family because of his grace, not because we earned it. So that's Paul's first big point. God chose us. Paul's second big point is the idea that Jesus makes it possible. I'll go to verse 7 to introduce this. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So it's because of Jesus' death and resurrection that our relationship with God is possible in the first place. And because of Jesus' victory on the cross, God has elevated him to a place of highest authority, 
We can see that when we read 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. So Jesus sacrificed his life to make our relationship with God possible. And because he rose and conquered the power of evil, Jesus is also elevated to the place of highest authority. And so, or Paul says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. So our relationship with God is possible because of Jesus. We're becoming united with Christ Jesus, who is the king of heaven and earth, and we receive an inheritance. So that moves us to that final point where Paul is trying to make in this passage this morning the idea that the Spirit marks us. So the Paul's first point, we've been chosen. The second is that Jesus makes it possible. And the third is that the Spirit marks us. Now, if you're like me, you look around and you say, I don't quite get this one. It doesn't look like God chose me. I mean, much of my life is still a giant mess. So if, if I've been chosen by God, if I am part of the family of God and Jesus is the king of heaven and earth, then why do I see all this pain, all this brokenness? In fact, why do I even cause a lot of the pain and the brokenness that I see around me? And Paul says, essentially, I think, yes, I know. That's a valid observation. But you've got to remember there is a sign that you have been chosen and that something new is coming and that sign is the Holy Spirit. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So that wording, identified as his own, it refers to the idea of a seal, not the water kind, but the kind where you stick it into a piece of wax in order to um, mark that th document or that envelope as your own. Or I thought if you like it better, you could think of a rancher who puts a brand on his cattle to say, these ones are mine. That's kind of the image that we're getting here that when we become followers of Jesus, God marks us. He gives us a mark, and that mark is the Holy Spirit. But it's more than that because the Spirit is also the promise of a coming inheritance. So we look around, we see everything's still a mess. Paul says, yes, I know, but there is something that's changed. You are now God's people. You bear God's mark, and there's something still coming. In this context, the idea of an inheritance is something that you know that you will have, but you don't have it yet. Or Paul also uses the metaphor of adoption in here. If a child becomes adopted into a family, at that point they know they will someday receive an inheritance as a child, along with all of the other children. They will be ready for that inheritance, but they don't have it yet. So this idea of an inheritance here is an acknowledgement. Things aren't where they need to be yet but you have been marked as a child of God. You are in line to receive everything in due time. And yet, there's even more, I think. The Spirit also shows that we now have a new kind of a relationship with God. 
when we become followers of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus begins to live in us. So now that we have this new relationship with God, a kind of a, of a unity with God, with God indwelling us, we also have a mark that we are his people that identify us as his own, and we have a promise that the whole thing, everything that God plans, will be coming as our inheritance in due time. So those are the three ideas that I think stand in, out in this passage. God chose us, Jesus makes it possible, and the Spirit marks us. So as we get further on into the book, these are going to be um, often addressed again in one way or another as Paul deepens them and expands them. And these are some foundational ideas that when we get to the application, we need to keep these in mind. That God chose us, Jesus makes it possible, and the Spirit marks us. So we'll get to that application in due time, but keep these ideas in your mind. And if possible, read Ephesians this week. It doesn't take that long to go through it all in one sitting, and you'll begin to see how Paul addresses these ideas a little bit more, and then how he uses them when he gets into saying, this is how you need to live as followers of Jesus. You have been listening to the Trustler Mennonite Sermon from October 24th, 2021. The passage was from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Take care.